You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Diaspora Blues acknowledges this program is produced and presented on the sovereign lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge elders past, present and becoming, as well as the owners of the land you're hearing us from. So, here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong and how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Jan. You're tuned in to Diaspora Blues on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am. My name's Ian Shirwa and Bigwa is away at the moment. So I am coming to you straight from my bedroom So please ignore any weird sounds that you hear in the background. This week is not a live show, but we still have a huge program for you. So huge that we cannot entertain any jokes. No hee-hees, no ha-has. So let's get straight to the episode. Right now, we're going to hear a speech by Senator Lydia Thorpe. It's an incredible, incredible speech and one I'm so glad to have heard. This speech is from the Invasion Day Rally, Melbourne 2021, organized by warriors of the Aboriginal resistance. And when we come back, Linda Ariza talks to us about community work, arts collectives, and why history matters. First, I'll pay my respects to the Wurundjeri people and thank them for sharing their country with us. I thank them for their resistance for almost 250 years of oppression, genocide, dispossession, and absolute denial of their existence, denial of their rights, the destruction of their country, the destruction of their water, and they still call for peace and unity. Today, today is Invasion Day. The 26th of January, whatever month, whatever time, A war was declared on the first people of this land. That war has not ended. That war has been going on for almost 250 years. Yes, we still have gun 
heads. We still have a boot on our necks. Our babies are still being stolen. Our babies are still being incarcerated and thrown in prisons. Ten-year-old babies are being locked up in this country. Is that something to celebrate? Well, why are people having barbecues and beers and shrimps on their barbie and celebrating the death and destruction of this people's first people, the oldest continuing living culture in the world. We can't rely on the so-called leadership in this country. I see that racism when I'm in that place. It's real. It's like America. There is a far-right rot in this country's parliament. They are stoking the fire of the far-right racism in this country. That is the other pandemic, the slimy, secret pandemic of racism in this country that we need to eradicate because it's killing us. I still have my granddaughters and my daughter fighting for their rights. When is this going to end? It's almost been 250 years. We're sick of protesting. We are sick. We need this day as our day of mourning because that's what's going to bring this country together is truth. together and not one government yet has been able to do that so it's up to us the people we need a treaty in this country we need the end to the war in this country and the only way we can do that is through a peace treaty not the one you see in Victoria, not the one you see in Queensland, not the one you see in the Northern Territory, because they talk treaty and still lock our people up. They still kill our people. They still desecrate our land and our water. A treaty means peace. A treaty means equality. And a treaty means justice. Thank you.
A few weeks ago, Big Watch Hall hit me up to tell me about an important platform called Amatica Series. I reached out to one of the organizers of the series, Linda Ariza. Here is our chat. Welcome to Diaspora Blues, Linda. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is a big, big honor. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's how I love for guests to start. So in preparation for this interview, I did something cheeky. So I went to your website and then I had a look at all the things that you've done. You've been involved with Soul Alphabet. You've been involved with Neuro Tours. Apologies about the pronunciation and the Amatica series as well. Let's go back a bit if we can, Linda. So let's start from the beginning. And I want you to answer this question however way you want. But where does your story begin? Mm. Oh, that's a, that's a really beautiful question. Um, well, first of all, thank you for like taking the time to even look into the work we do. It's incredible that um, you've taken the time to do that. Um, I think, where does my story begin? Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's a big, big question. I think my story begins when I, I think I went to, I was, I went back to um, Rwanda by myself. Uh, maybe this was around 2017. Um, and essentially I went there for a conference and it was some sort of youth conference, but it was insane because you were in a room full of like young Africans from everywhere, not just Rwandans. There was people from Uganda, Ghana, like all these different places, but also even Africans in the diaspora. There was a lot of people from like um, the States, the UK, like everywhere. So it was a huge room filled with like 500 plus young passionate black people. And um, I think that's when being in that sort of environment, it gave me a lot of energy and I guess power to um, to push with the ideas that I have to believe in myself and really work on whatever I want to do in whatever form and also be just simply be excited, excited for the journey rather than the whatever outcome or whatever I produce, just focus on the journey instead. Um, and yeah, so I, I really think that's where it started. And, and when I was actually there for that conference, that was the first time so alphabet event was also happening here in Bulu um, and it was it was insane because it was an event that I was very excited about I was heavily involved in the planning of it but I wasn't there physically but I was also in a space that sort of really gave me so much energy and here in Bulu there was a lot of young Africans who were in a space that also gives them gave them a lot of energy on the same sort of day mm. and um, that also taught me that like you can your work doesn't have to just be in one specific place. It's it's not landlocked or borders around you do not exist sort of situation. So, yeah, I think that's where it began. <laughs> Beautiful. And I love that a conference could do that, that a conference could trigger, I suppose, your awakening. Were you born in Perth? No, I was actually born in, in Rwanda. So I was I came in here when I was 11. Right. And what was it like going back? Because obviously 11 is very young. But when you went back, what was that like? It was it was beautiful. So it was my first time back by myself. But before that, in 2016, I was there with like family. And I think that might have been the first time we went back. And um, it was really beautiful. So the first time we went back, 
it was you know you follow like your aunties and your mom around so you mm. you, you just become you know <laughs> you just go to your cousin's house and you eat food and that's it so you're just chilling but when you go back by yourself it gives you a lot i think i was feeling a lot of anxiety around do i even have any friends do i am i going to meet people is this really awkward how am i how and i was only there for maybe a week as well so i was there for a very short time but i had a lot of anxiety of saying i really love this place this is what this is a place i call home but i don't know if the people will receive me or i was just having a lot of anxiety about just having people to talk to <laughs> yeah, i can totally yeah. yeah i can totally imagine i've been in melbourne since 92 and i left when i was i think 7 8 mm. and I always think about what would it be like if I were to go back to Somalia. You know, the same anxieties that you talk about like whether you'd be able to make friends and for me I would be going back like I'd love to go back on my own cuz you're right that would make a difference. If you were mm. to go back with family, you know, you'd stay with the relatives, everybody would want to welcome you and take you out, but it's really different when you go on your own. Yes, yeah. Yeah. It, it does hit you a bit different but also after like after two days I was like I was very relaxed because I, I had a lot of like you know friends that I was talking to on, on like social media and stuff and we met up and it was really beautiful because it didn't feel like we met up for the first time ever it felt really natural and nice um, so yeah I think there's always that anxiety of like and I've always been living I, I live at home as well with my mom so I've never really like physically left <laughs> wow the nest or whatever environment I'm in you do a lot of work with the community and in particular young people um what drew you to this i guess field of work mm um i think for me i've cuz when i was in high school i finished high school in what 2015 or something and i was a very like i was a very quiet really nervous sort of kid and i would just sit down and just observe observe everything that's going on around me and not really do anything and then but that taught me a lot cuz it taught me to be silent it taught me to sort of stay put and understand the power structures or the structures of the like society I'm in I guess and then after I finished high school I started becoming a little bit more vocal and I was like you know what I'm going to create the things that I've always sort of looked up to I I really look up to a lot of things that were happening in like Melbourne like I think Melbourne has been a space where I was like okay I need to go there visit and see what's going on and experience this in real life so then I was like, okay I can't really travel to Melbourne I'm still you know stuck here for a little bit longer so let me try to bring the sense of community that I think people in other places are feeling um to here as well and also do it with a lot of other young people who are passionate about this sort of same thing so it really came from just a space of wanting to um create an environment where where I feel comfortable and I feel like I'm seen and hopefully if I feel like that I'm pretty sure there's 10 or 5 other people who are in the same boat who also feel that sense of community mm-hmm. um yeah so oh that's so lovely and I'm glad that you mentioned Melbourne as well because we have a very burgeoning art scene and there's we have heaps of um youth run art collectives and they put on like a lot like incredible events and Maybe 10 years ago there might have been one or two but now there seems to be 
all these like groups and you know as they say the more the merrier but anyone Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking about you and myself as well because I've also been part of youth run collectives it's really hard putting on events and shows and making the spaces inclusive and safe um before we look at what works let's talk about the challenges what would you say is the the biggest part about running a youth run collective Mm, I think um the hardest part is like for me sort of I'm very like self-critical of myself so then sometimes when things don't go the way I've envisioned, whether that means like not many people have are engaging with it or they haven't sort of felt what I thought they would feel by coming to the event, that sort of, um, I'm very hard on myself. So I think the hardest part is that I'm very self-critical and sometimes it's not really necessary. Um, and then I think the other hard part is to really just like working with people is difficult, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially it's beautiful, but also very difficult, especially when you're not very vocal, but also you're not very clear on what type of support you need um, and how those people can come in and also, um, you know, best feel those the support that you need, but also for them to, you know, um, push the artistry or push the area that they want to be in um so I think that's the hardest part like simply yeah yeah, working with people is hard (laughs) no totally because there's big personalities and everyone comes into a collective for various reasons some people come in to make friends some people come in as a way to build a profile for themselves because that does happen sometimes people are really interested in how this will build this will build their career as opposed to how this collective will help the community. So I've seen that happen. And also I love that you're anxious about what people think, because that means you care. You do want to put on a good show for the community. Yeah. 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 A hundred percent. And sometimes it does get a bit too much. And then I have to be like, just relax. (laughs) Um, And another part is um, I would say like structure, So I've been like a lot of the youth collectives that we I'm part of and I sort of work with, there's really no structure. So like usually here you might see the work that we do and you're like, whoa, this is a very established sort of space. But a lot of those spaces have no structure. (laughs) Totally. Um, Because everyone's so excited to create a collective and to get something started that sometimes you don't think about the organizational structure of it, as you mentioned, what people's roles are, how um, realistic you are about certain goals, like those kind of things Mm -hmm. take time. And I want you to know, don't be like hard on yourself if they don't come together in the beginning, because it takes a lot of work. Maybe now's a good time to talk about the best parts about being part of a collective. What do you think that is? Yes. Um, Whoa, there's a lot of good parts. There's a lot of, um, I think the best part is to really just, you're sort of creating your own like space. And that's, that's incredible to think about that you are um, creating your own space, but you're pushing community, like the community is growing and people are feeling really safe and comfortable. I would say like whenever we even do like the stuff that you mentioned earlier, noodle tours when we do our trips, but also to even so alphabet events, the fact that people come on these like trips and they feel a sense of community and they also feel really comfortable around each other and really safe. 
that's um i think that's the best part is making sure that even like even if we throw events and it's just simply like a party with music um people don't feel the obligation to dance you can come and sit down and relax and be yourself you don't have to sh- put on a show for anyone because no one is pushing you in that direction so i think that's the best part is that you're creating something that people can just take it as however they want to take it and and create from it or do nothing with it so yeah. i think yeah that's excellent cuz you know the myth that all black people can dance isn't true and, and you don't want to dance <laughs> And you don't always want to dance. Sometimes you can dance, but not every event requires dancing. And I love the idea of coming as you are. Yes, yes, yes. Let's talk about a very interesting series that I had the pleasure of watching on YouTube, and that's the Amatica series. Can you tell us what this platform is about? Yeah, so basically the entire idea is just around archiving Rwandan history. So like digi- digitally archiving it and also to really grow this momentum of um young Rwandans across the world but also young Africans coming together to collectively learn um because that's how our ancestors have always learned that's also how we learn in schools we're in a room um collectively learning but i also feel like there's a lot of knowledge that a lot of elders have a lot of historians have that's not being passed down and it's being disrupted and if we're not careful about preserving that history we're going to lose it because for example i will even give myself as an example there's a lot of about rwandan history that i don't know that i missed out on um and if i was to go away and have kids for example i wouldn't have any i wouldn't have much to pass on to them so the history will kind of die with me in a sense um so yeah so the whole idea is that we come together every like now it's like a bi-monthly thing so starting in feb and then the next one will be in april so there's a certain topic we all come together you sit down and you watch virtually from wherever and you have a group of historians um different really cool women doing a lot of great things in archiving histories and also some young people who are inspired by specific uh things about Rwandan history to come together and have a discussion and whatever you also take from that discussion is up to you you can create art from it you can so you can archive it in that sense you can archive it by writing about it you can archive it by sitting down and you know uh telling your friends about what you just learned mm. um yeah totally and as someone who's not from the Rwandan community i mm. got a lot out of it someone who stuck out to me um during the october series was and i'm i hope i get the pronunciation right her name is geramata amata who is a poet and a feminist she's also the founder of sister circle collective um they're a defunct organization um but she's still doing a lot of incredible work was there anyone from that launch that stuck out to you mm-hmm. i would also say geramata is someone that i like i admire her work a lot because she has taught me a lot and um having her on that panel was incredible because one she was the youngest person on the panel but also she's someone whose work is truly inspired by by all those women that she talked about um so her work is a, a, around sort of decolonial work and also feminist work 
and she was talking about um, historical like Rwandan women who we should know and honor. Um, and someone else for me is um, Hope Azeda, who's a uh, she does a she's a playwright. She has her own theater company, and it's been running for like almost a decade, I think, mm -hmm. from memory. Um, so she's incredible because she she knows a lot about how you can um, push history and archive history through theater plays and dance and movement. Um, and then, sorry, <laughs> someone else is obviously the, um, we had an elder on there, which is Umugdeyi Kotild, which was incredible because she she even came and she was, she was, she was even a little bit late because she was meant to be the, the first speaker. And it was so beautiful that she even made it. And um, yeah, she was, she was just really lovely. And um, a lot of the things that she talked about, even though it was in Kinyaranda, it was really just around how people came together to learn about history. Usually you would have um, family members sitting down in the afternoon in the neighborhood and they'll discuss with kids about history, but you also even have traditional uh, Rwandan schools that teach history, dance and art um, this is in the pre-colonial context, but those mm. schools are still here as well because now it's almost like a program that the government runs um, that people go through after they finish high school for a certain amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I know who you're talking about because because she spoke in language and I was like, yes. I know auntie is dropping wisdom. I wish I yes. knew what she <laughs> Okay, so your next event is called the genesis of rwanda as told through many stories can we get a sample of what we can look forward to and how can we register online as well yes for sure so basically the whole idea is really around looking at pre-colonial rwandan stories and how for example the country came about well because it's pre-colonial it's even way before the borders were um, constructed around our country um, so it's really talking about sort of the kingdoms of Rwanda and how sort of people came together and kingdoms were created. And we have a, a, like a story around the first king of Rwanda is known to be Dihanga. So he's the one who's almost seen as not just the creator of Rwanda it, itself or a king, but he was almost seen as um, a god. So it's, it's really interesting how there's sort of the discussion of spirituality, but also how our country came about. Um, so we'll, we'll have an actual um, historian. So he's the speaker who will be speaking on the story of Dihanga. He's a historian, but he also happens to be the minister of um, youth and culture in Rwanda as well. He's written extensively about sort of Rwandan history books. So he'll be speaking about the story of Dihanga. We have an elder woman coming on. She's like a musical legend in our country. So she'll also be talking about how women have been a critical part, have played a critical role in pre-colonial Rwandan history, whether it's queen mothers. For example, queen mothers actually had more power in, um, in our kingdoms in, in Rwanda because you have a king, but they'll almost just be like a figure and the queen mother is really the person who's making the final decisions on things. Mm -hmm. So even though our society was very, it's seen as very patriarchal, but it was almost like a, it was almost like a matriarchal sort of system, but hidden as a patriarchal system, if that makes any sense. I don't yes. know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she will be speaking about that. We also have a, 
a very young person. He's 20. He lives in Perth as well. His name is Paul. He's like, he's, this, he's 20, but when I speak to him, it's as if you're speaking to like your granddad. He speaks like a, a very old 90-year-old man, basically. An old <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, and you can, and it's, it's really beautiful to sort of see um, him speak like that. And he wants to be a journalist as well. So it will be, he's made a really incredible presentation where he's gone and like, picked like three different Rwandan poems that speak about sort of heroes and young and the work of young people in Rwandan history. And like, like the Rwandan poetry, similar to a lot of um, other poetry around the continent, it's, it's very complex and the way it's written is very complex. So he's broken it down in a very like beautiful, easy way to understand. So there'll be that, all of that. So it's just all about how the country came about and a lot of, a lot about um, pre-colonial histories. And yeah, it's, it will be in incredible for any other young person, whether you're African or you're uh, like your non-African to come and join us. The discussion will mostly be in Kinyarwanda, but I'll be doing English summaries as best as I can. <laughs> so um, yeah, through the summaries, you'll be able to catch things here and there. And you can easily, it's, it's all free. So it's going to happen on Feb the 6th at um, 4 p.m. Perth time. And I think Melbourne, you're three hours ahead. Mm. Um, so yeah, and it will, it will only go for an hour, hopefully. <laughs> it might be a bit longer. So yes. it's free, you can register. Uh, on our website yeah you say an hour but come on so <laughs> as you can see I left the laugh in because we were having too much of a good time and I said you know what keep it Amatika series is on Instagram at amatika.series amatika is spelled a-m-a-t-e-k-a that's a-m-a T-E-K-A. And that's the end of our show today. You can listen back to this episode as a podcast on our 3CR page. I think 3CR is the voice of the people speaking back to the establishment and telling them what they think and sometimes it's something they don't want to hear. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.